From the Los Angeles Times, this is Coronavirus in California, stories from the front lines. I'm Gustavo Arellano. It's Monday, May 4th. Today, all signs point to a difficult economic period coming our way. And the truth is that this crisis is not only going to hit businesses, small and large, but government. Typically, California spends over $200 billion a year on everything from fixing roads and schools to unemployment benefits and building affordable housing. So what's going to happen this year? Lawmakers are still trying to figure that out. In a surreal scene last month, State Senator Holly Mitchell of Los Angeles convened a budget hearing in an empty Capitol building. Other senators zoomed in to get a sobering look at California's upcoming budget, one eviscerated by coronavirus. Senator Mitchell is chair of the Senate's Budget Committee and will lead the way as California tries to balance dwindling revenues against a growing need for government help. Blue Shield of California would like to take this moment to thank the mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, daughters, sons, friends, and heroes on the front line. This fight is tough, but so are you. And we're grateful for your courage and your dedication to keeping us all safe and healthy. Thank you. So, Senator Mitchell, I got to say, I love the photo that the Associated Press took of you where you're giving the double thumbs up to your colleagues while you're at this empty state capitol. And even though you're wearing a mask, you can still see that you're smiling. It, to me, it like represents optimism, but also the hard times that we're going through. Well, I appreciate that. I thought, you know, I was glad that the caption clarified that I was giving a thumbs up to the laptop, letting all of my colleagues know who were participating via Zoom that they could be heard, they were seen, we were good to go to begin the hearing. I think the banner headline that ran on many of the papers, it said, you know, fiscal crisis, it was a little juxtaposition. Why is she giving a thumbs up to a fiscal crisis? It really was like, you know, colleagues, we got this. Even though we are not together, we, through technology, are going to do what we need to do. So thanks for that. How was it, though, to be running this meeting? At, you know, the state capitol is usually buzzing with activity all years. And it was just like you and maybe a couple of other folks. So how was it being at such an empty place? It was fascinating. You know, a couple of my uh, colleagues in the assembly texted me and said, gosh, it looked eerie. I didn't feel eerie at all. I was focused on the big screen, uh, looking in the faces of all of my colleagues. I was focused, really, on the testimony being provided by Department of Finance. You know, as, as the chair of the committee, you got a lot of things going on at once. I'm listening. I'm trying to keep track of my colleagues who have questions to ask. You know, the press was up in the gallery. There were maybe two lobbyists who came in and out a couple of members of the public who chose to be there physically. So it was a lot going on that I was trying to manage simultaneously. (laughs) I think it was a great job. How is California's fiscal outlook looking because of coronavirus? Well, you know, I think it's yet to be seen. I was meeting with the Department of Finance. A letter was issued by finance to myself and Mr. Ting as chair of the Assembly Budget Committee, as well as all the state departments oh my goodness, I guess a full month ago now, that said, look, May revise will not be what we anticipated. We will very likely present what they called a working budget. I've chosen to call it kind of a keep the lights on budget. And I'm not sure if it's even going to be a keep the lights on budget. We we may begin to look at ways in which we can tighten our belt or we'll have to tighten our belt, giving all of the unknowns. You know, we pushed out the collection of income taxes to align with the federal government's extension. So we won't even know what the state's income based on income taxes paid until July 15th, the new due date. Even with that, we are bound by the Constitution to pass a balanced on-time budget by June 15th. 
So given that situation with the calendar, you know, I, I think this is going to be a tough budget conversation this year. We'll get the May revised by about May 14th, 15th. I got to have a budget off the Senate floor, off the assembly floor on its way to the governor's desk on June 15th. So that gives us 30 days to do what we typically take from January to June to do. Wow. Uh, what, what do you expect your colleagues to be focusing on? Obviously, in California, the, uh, the government as it is, especially Democrats, they pride themselves on trying to have an equitable state. Yeah, we do. And I, and I think, uh, of course, we're going to have to focus on health and safety. You know, we are all experiencing collectively a public health and an economic pandemic. I think it's safe and appropriate to say that we have entered into a recession particularly when you consider my home county of Los Angeles, various reports have suggested that 50% of the county's population are either not working as a direct result of COVID-19 or their hours have been severely reduced. Or if they're small business owners and they've had to close shop or they're, they're ministers or they're running churches and they're not having church service. And so 50% of the population, the most populous county in the state, that's mind-blowing. And so we're going to have to focus on that. We're going to have to focus on issues of, of the economy, issues of uh, all related to COVID, and some issues that we were beginning and have been confronting for several years now that aren't directly related to COVID, but are being exacerbated by COVID. Issues like our unhoused, issues like our already medically fragile or uh, communities, uh, issues around our incarcerated folks in nursing homes, kids in juvenile detention. Um, those are all issues that we have been addressing, but we're going to have to continue to address. You're seeing wealth inequality being even more exacerbated then. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, sweet Alice Harris, the founder of Parents of Watts, has had a saying uh, for years that, you know, if L.A. County or if California catches a cold, Watts gets pneumonia. And so communities that were already disproportionately impacted by wealth inequality, by food deserts, by health disparities. Those communities and the people who live there have been disproportionately impacted by COVID, without a doubt. You know, there's this whole push around COVID testing, whereas I was on a, a Zoom call convened by the California Black Health Network, and Dr. Elaine Batchelor, the CEO of King Hospital, said, you know, the issue is follow-up services and treatment that people present in her ER because they don't have a doctor or a clinic where they can go to where they have health coverage and receive care. There are clinics, St. John's Clinic, all over South LA that's trying to do testing, but you know they don't have any guarantee that they're going to be reimbursed if they're doing testing for people who are uninsured. So you know people who were already on the margins are finding themselves kind of deeper in the gap. This LA Times podcast is presented by Blue Shield of California. The fight is tough, but so are you. Thank you, Frontline. This advertiser has no influence over editorial decisions or content.
Uh, Senator, we so much of the conversation about coronavirus is talking about the impacts to adults, to their jobs, to their health. What about the children? What do you see? How do you see coronavirus affecting children, not just right now, but as they grow up, basically this generation of children? You know, I I wish I could say that that's not what I think about morning, noon, and night, but it really is. You know, everything from our youngest children whose childcare environments have been disrupted to our K through 14 population, uh, many of whom in LAUSD um, did not have access to online learning because they didn't have the online tools, be it a Chromebook or the internet or reliable, strong enough internet to accommodate multiple kids in the household, all trying to get on Zoom experiences with their classroom and their teacher. And the unknown. I represent the University of Southern California. I had a conference call with the new president this past week who talked about what does the fall look like? Do we offer all online classes? Do we open up the classes to the, the, the entire campus for everyone to come back and move into the dorms. There are so many unknowns. Um, it's difficult for any leader to plan. And so it worries me. What is happening every day to the children of our essential workers? We're working very hard to push out regulations and push out federal and state funds to increase child care slot capacity for those people. But, but that's in process now. And the essential workers have been working nonstop for six weeks now. You know, my concern is about their care, their nurture. We don't want them to experience the summer slide where everybody gets, you know, brain fog because you're partying and having fun all summer. What do we do with that? And so last week in one of his um, 12 noon press conferences, uh, the governor talked about his concern about kids and schools and hoping that schools would consider opening or providing some kind of academic enrichment through starting in July or maybe August. And so I think what we're all going to have to be ready for is a new normal and how we accommodate systems and change systems to meet the needs of our population today. And for some people, that's really uncomfortable. It will be new and different. And as a government, we're going to have to move quickly to make it relevant to working families and their kids. Especially with working families, sometimes a safety net for them are public assistance programs. But some of these programs, they're predicated on the fact that you have to work. So is there going to be any change in California to programs like EBT or other things? That's a really good question. You'll recall welfare reform under Clinton in the 90s did make a transition that said, you know, in order to receive CalWORKs, which is the program here in California, you had to go to work or be in school. If you couldn't do either, then the county would um, assign you to some kind of public service. Again, uh, welfare was limited under welfare reform to five years. In California here, it's actually 48 months. And so that's a good question that we'll have to figure out just as kind of the rules and regulations around Employment Development Department, focusing on unemployment insurance, have changed. Uh, new funds are coming in from the federal government to provide unemployment insurance to people who already exceeded their maximum number of weeks or independent contractors. You know, So new systems are being put in place based on our current reality. And we'll have to see if the same applies to the entitlement program, some of which those rules are set at the federal level, like for CalFresh, our food stamps program that's set at the federal level. Trust and believe we as the California legislature will be looking at all of those opportunities. 
We've already submitted requests for a, a variety of different waivers to allow us to meet the needs today of California residents, and we'll continue to do so. So your district is one of the most economically diverse in Southern California, going from Culver City all the way down to Compton. So what are constituents from the different part, your different constituents telling you about how coronavirus is impacting them? What's fascinating about this experience is that it's an equal opportunity virus. One of the top employers in my district, because it also goes as far, it actually goes as far west as Chevy Hills. Uh, as far north as Pico Fairfax, and as far east as downtown. And so one of the top employers uh, in my district outside of the university system are the studios, is the entertainment industry. So when you figure for L.A. County, the role tourism, hospitality, and entertainment industry plays in our overall economy, those three industries have, in effect, shut down, with the exception of restaurants that are, that are allowing for um, to-go meals. And so it has had a drastic impact on every socioeconomic group. Of course, some more severe than others. But, you know, I don't know anybody that's not been touched, either someone who has a friend or family member who has tested positive, someone who has a friend, family member or neighbor who is an essential worker, someone whose own work has been impacted. Either you're asked to work from home, that you're participating in the safe at home policy. Um, or your hours have been reduced or expanded exponentially because you're an essential worker. You know, I can't think of any neighborhood or group in my entire Senate district of one million people that this virus hasn't touched. It's amazing when you think about it. That's why I continue to refer to it as both a public health and an economic pandemic. It's both. And meanwhile, on top of all this, you're also running for L.A. County supervisor for the November election. And then there's that. <laughs> and so <laughs> then the, the question is, you know, how can any of us from the presidential candidates on down engage in what we have historically viewed and practiced as campaign activity? Big gatherings, big rallies, big come volunteer at the campaign headquarters and do door knocking and phone banking. How do you raise money? You know, we have big fundraisers where people gather and come together. So every candidate is having to rethink how we touch voters, how we make elections relevant in this very frightening time in our life experience. And from my experience, from my perspective, it, literally I had an aha moment one day. You know, it's times like these that government is designed for. Everybody is looking to government to help navigate our way out and through this. Government made a decision and in effect shut down our business as usual starting with the mayor of San Francisco, London Breed, followed shortly thereafter by our mayor, Eric Garcetti, and then the governor, telling businesses to close their doors. Schools closed their doors. Decisions made by superintendents and school boards. And so government is at the center of this. If no one knew that we had a county public health officer before early March, everybody knows it now, because that's who we look to to tell us the numbers. What, what must we do? to protect ourselves and our communities. And so it's times like these that government is designed for and why elections matter. You know, from my perspective, I am so proud to be a Californian. Um, when I look at the performance of my governor and my mayor compared to, quite frankly, the president of the free world, uh, the president of the United States, who's had different messages, who's not been consistent, and whose actions I don't believe are in the best interest of my community. And so that's why elections matter, because we need people in position 
to make good decisions, to be fearless, courageous leaders when we need them to be. That's it for today's episode of Coronavirus in California, Stories from the Front Lines. Thanks for listening. Do you have a story you want to share with us? Call our hotline at 213-986-5652 and leave us a message. That's 213-986-5652 or email me, gustavo.ariano at latimes.com. No, seriously, I respond. This podcast was hosted by me, Gustavo Ariano. Our producers are Paige Heimson and Stan Lee. Our senior producer is Rena Palta and our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin and our original music was composed by Andrew Epin. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special gracias to Julia Turner, Shelby Grad, Hector Becerra, and Clint Schott for the latest coronavirus stories by my LA Times colleagues, including an up-to-the-minute tracker of cases across California. Don't forget to visit our website. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the LA Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Stay safe and see you tomorrow.